Welcome to the Pastor's Cut Podcast. This is the podcast for the week of March 10th, 2022. I like the emphasis. Sorry. What, what <laughs> the emphasis pause. on us. Week. This is a podcast for the week. For the week. This I was is a, waiting for like the week of heart or the week of soul or something. This is the podcast. There we go. Is it April 10th? Yes. March 10th is already gone. This is for the, the week of mind and the week of soul <laughs> and the week of will and the week of April 10th. I, listen, I just sat down here. I've been nice to you guys so far before we started the podcast, so and all I get is a bunch of guff. I don't even know what guff is, but you're giving it out. I apologize but for the speaking guff. speaking of week, I guess we could talk about week coffee as well. Let's talk about some coffee. So we, we normally do this podcast in the morning when we're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And um, this, because of a funeral we had today, Dave, we needed to record this afternoon. So we're all in that afternoon drag. And so everyone is bringing some coffee or has had coffee. Thought it'd be a good little talking point. Favorite coffee place in Tulsa. Marissa, you, you probably are very eclectic. I like, I like all kinds of coffee. I do not discriminate. Um, but I really like Triangle across the street. I know Dave does too. Um, and right now they're closed for the next four days for what? renovation. No. Yeah, it's breaking my heart. So no. this morning, my whole day is thrown off because that's my Tuesday morning study spot is going oh, to the Triangle. Oh, my goodness. Um, they have a seasonal um, menu that's great of drinks. I think they have a little bakery in the back, too. Don't they do a little bakery thing now? They do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They've think, got some good stuff. Thinking staff outing. That'd be fun right <laughs> across the street. All right. So, Dave, what about for you? Well, since Triangle is closed and Marissa <laughs> took Triangle, my next favorite go-to spot, if I'm not going to Triangle, would be 918. It's a good their, one. Their coffee is a little bit heavier than I normally like it. I like um, the the flavor. The it's weird they they actually rate coffee like they rate wine, oh. and but but the I like the flavor. I like the body and the consistency of what Triangle does. 918 typically has some more darker roasts, and so it's not quite as burnt taste as the Starbucks coffee, but it is a little bit stronger and maybe a little bit more burnt than I necessarily prefer the flavor of. <laughs> okay. Ringing endorsement. Ringing endorsement. So, <laughs> triangle. Go Triangle. And this podcast is sponsored by Triangle. Yeah, well, really. we, need, we need some sponsorship money. Um, I don't know what for. Well, for coffee. For coffee. For coffee, absolutely. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm going to have to go with, uh, of course, I I am faithful to, and you just heard Dave slurp his coffee, so I'm going to slurp mine. Oh, that's good stuff. So Starbucks is always a go-to, but, uh, you know, if I want to treat myself, double shot, great environment, but, but they are very busy. Mm-hmm. They're always busy when I go in. So sometimes you don't know if you're going to find a place or not, but... They do a great job. I've talked to the owner in the past. You do not mention the word Starbucks when you're in there. No. There's a lot of things you don't mention when you go in there. There's a lot of things you don't mention, but great. I love the kind of the woodsy cabin feel, so good coffee too. All right, so we should talk about the Bible at some point here. So this is podcast. We're continuing. Oh, Dave, first, before we get into the text, this is what we'll be talking about on April 10th, 10th, right? Uh, The centurion who is near the cross, the week of April 10th, 
Uh, but in our community groups, we're going to be doing something else. Tell about the prayer yeah. and the card. So on April 10th, Palm Sunday, we are going to be in community groups looking at 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4, where Paul instructs Timothy to lead the Ephesian community in praying for leaders, for everyone who doesn't know Jesus, because God's desire ultimately is for everyone to come to faith in Jesus. And so through that Sunday in particular, I'm going to be guiding you through some time of prayer. There's a YouTube video that, that everyone has or should have a link for. If you don't have a link for that, send me an email, and I'll be glad to get that to you. But then as a part of that, we also have prayer cards that we have available throughout the worship center near all of the offering receptacles, as well as at each of our information desks so that you can grab that card. It, it has our vision statement on, on the front that we develop Jesus followers should become difference makers. And on the back, it says for a world of people far from God. And then it has three blanks where you can write the names of three people you know who don't know Jesus to start praying for them. And then my encouragement to you as you're praying for them is to pray specifically for an opportunity to invite them to church, maybe even to share the gospel with them leading into Easter Sunday. So one of the values of our church is good news. We have good news for the church, from the church to the world, from Christ to the world. Let's just be sharing that good news. Pretty simple. Well, let's go to the Gospels. Uh, this is for April 10th. We're talking about the centurion. And I'm going to ask Dave to read the text. It's uh, Luke 23, uh, 44 through 48. Dave, don't read 49. If you read 49, I'll take your coffee away from you. Let me just give you my coffee now. Uh, no, I don't want it. It's too weak. <laughs> Go. It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the, and the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. So what I want to do is I want to talk about, um, kind of guide this conversation. Let's take this in two parts. Let's talk about everything that happened up until the point that the centurion talks. Then I want to address the centurion himself, because that's going to be the focus of the message. Uh, where I'm going with the message on this Sunday is, is there, are, there are four characters that speak in this passage. Creation speaks in its own unique voice by the darkness. Uh, the temple speaks, uh, the curtain being torn in two. Jesus speaks, and then the centurion speaks. And each one of them says something very fascinating. But let's take, uh, centurion will be our focus, but let's take the, the precursor to what happens uh, before he speaks. Um, creation, the temple, what Jesus says, tell me what you guys got. Sure, yeah. Go, Marissa. <laughs> You've already talked about creation. This is a mirror of the creation story. Um, John 1 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made without him Nothing was made that he has that has been made in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind So now we have the dimming of the light um, And Jesus being the light of the world. He was present at the beginning all things were created through him The darkness shows the suffering of creation at his absence but just in case we're tempted to think that that meant that all that was left behind was darkness and brokenness, we have to remember that John 1, 5 says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So to think that there was only darkness at that point is to contradict John 1, 5. And in showing us the story of the centurion, it shows that persistence 
of the light, that there's this beam of divine light that comes and shines and reveals truth to the centurion. Yeah, you know, and think about the, the very first thing that God created was let there be light. And what happens here is a counterpoint to that, of the destructiveness of death and darkness. But the darkness has not won. Hmm. That's, that's, the, that's the assurance of Scripture, and ultimately we see that in the resurrection. We're not there yet, but that, that's the assurance. Uh, Dave, anything stands out to you? So this the the first verse it really feels a lot like Psalm nineteen one the the heavens declare the glory of God the skies proclaim the work of your hands that that the skies themselves are literally pointing to Jesus and what he was doing and so there was something significant about that even more so you know the gospels all four gospels make a big deal of of two words signs and wonders. And if ever there was a sign and a wonder, something that authenticated who God was and pointed straightly to him, that's what's happening right here. This would have been interpreted in antiquity as a literal omen in the sky, a sign pointing to something mm. much bigger than the event itself, that there's something more significant. And so here we have a series of, of a couple of those taking place to point to the fact that there's something really significant happening right now. You need to pay attention to it. Yeah, the, the world is about to change, and so it, it bears witness to that. This is more than just the death of a random Jewish carpenter. Uh, creation responds to this, as does the temple. Um, now, I've, I've fallen under the influence uh, of N.T. Wright, who's, a I think, one of the greatest living theologians, mm-hmm. Anglican theologian. And um, I've taken several online courses of his and he really does a good job of making us think through why why was the temple important and and we tend to think of the temple rightly so as it's a place where people would go to meet with god but even more than that the temple was a place where heaven and earth would meet in fact if there was a place that heaven was on earth and it intersected it was in the temple in the holy of holies and so when the curtain of the temple tears in two it's it's the idea that the kingdom of heaven god's rule and reign is is leaving the temple and now the place where heaven and earth meet is not just in a temple in Jerusalem. And we'll discover this as we go through the resurrection and the teachings of the early church. The kingdom of heaven is inside me. I am God's new temple. Mm-hmm. The place where heaven and earth intersects is in my life. And this is the beginning of seeing that happen. Now it's not about the kingdom. It's not about heaven being over here in this place. The kingdom of heaven, heaven is within us and it intersects our lives. And that's why Paul says in Colossians 3, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We are to be representatives of heaven, of God's presence, where heaven and earth meet in our lives. In other words, as a Christian, wherever I go, I take heaven with me Mm -hmm. into an earthly situation. It's Mm -hmm. very powerful. And here's just the beginning of that imagery. Marissa, you look like you got something to say. Sure. I don't, Dave hasn't do you want to go? No, go for it. All right. No, he talked a lot. <laughs> okay. I've already talked. To, I already have already talked. Quite all right. All right. I, th- I think Melissa. Uh, Marissa. Melissa. <laughs> Melissa. Oh, Melissa. See, afternoon is not good for us. It's not. <laughs> our, our chemistry is a little bit better. Yeah. M- Melissa fell asleep while you were talking. We don't know who Melissa is. Yeah. But somewhere out there Marissa's is a listener. Fine. Marissa's okay. <laughs> well, it's equally uh, the grief of a father ripping his clothes in agony over the death of his son. I just the beauty and the agony of of thinking of the veil of the temple being torn from top down. You see that rending of the garments. You think about Job and the loss of his children. You think about the the father to the prodigal son. And it's equally that and the final reunification between God and humanity. I mean, I love N.T. Wright, too, and, and it's uh, uh, it's just a declaration that there's no more separation between God and right. man. 
that that was the place where man went to meet with God. That was the the one place where they could go and worship. Um, but the glory of God has left the temple, which a lot of people think that this this tearing of the veil means judgment and the fact that the temple has been rid of God's presence, that there's emptiness only in the temple. There's not emptiness in the temple. The, God's presence has spread throughout the world, um, and it's it's a victory more than anything. Um, this, the Holy of Holies was emptied, and God's presence is now flooded in all of creation. And just like you said, it's moved from the temple, then to God's Son, and then the heart of every believer. So when uh, when Jesus says, this is finished, I wonder if it's in response to that veil being torn, that this is victory, this is the work that's now finished, that God and his people are reunified with no separation. Yeah, I think it's important what you said, too, about the, the image in the temple of the curtain being torn is not judgment on the Jews, because we're too quick to blame the death of Jesus, and it's been a racially charged issue over the centuries. Uh, if anything, the sign of the sun going dark, that was judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, several commentaries I read said, you know, that's a sign of God's judgment has come, and what happens in the temple is a sign of salvation for everyone. And so this is not judgment on the Jews. This is God's grace on all of us. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So then Jesus speaks, and I'll, I'll talk to this for just a moment. Um, it's, you know, were these his last words? There's the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. I have to say that I'm taken with, um, I'm doing a little bit of work right now for a future teaching series. Um, of the seven things that Jesus says on the cross, three of them are prayers. And in those three prayers, only one of them, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the only time Jesus prays in the Gospels that he does not refer to God as his Father. Hmm. Every other time he prays, he always uses Father, but, but not that time. Uh, so just before this, Jesus prays, God, why have you forsaken me? But then he comes around to the fatherhood of God again, and he dies in surrender. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So now the centurion takes all this in. He, he sees the darkness, probably doesn't know what's happened in the temple, and even if he knew what happened, it probably wouldn't mean that much to him. Uh, but he hears what Jesus says, and so in response, he says, Surely this is a righteous man, and Matthew and Mark uh, give the wording a little bit differently. But, you know, if you're quoting somebody, you're going to get just snatches of this and that. Surely this is the Son of God is what they would record. Uh, but what do we make of what the centurion says here? Or what do we make of him? So the centurion himself, he probably was the, the person responsible for overseeing the crucifixion process. He was probably, that's at least what I read in, in one of the commentaries. But watching what was going on, observing what was happening with the physical signs of the earth, um, he knew there was something unique about Jesus. And it goes back to that question we keep asking that we've asked the last several sessions, who is Jesus? That as he wrestled with that question, looking at who Jesus was dying on the cross, he said there's something more unique about who Jesus is than any other crucifixion I've witnessed. There's something so powerful that rather than, than looking at the death of Jesus, he started praising God. The, 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 the Greek word doxa, he, he literally praised God. And, and the verb there, it's... It's started in the past, but it has an ongoing effect that it was continual praising God. From that moment forward, he continued to praise God and worship God. So there's something about that that was so unique that he couldn't help but say, now I have a connection with God because of what Jesus just did. So a centurion would be a military man, as, as the name implies. Um, you know, we hear the word century. 
He was um, a man who was in charge of about 100 troops. Uh, it's interesting that in the New Testament, every time a centurion is mentioned, it's, he's mentioned in positive terms. Hmm. So we never meet a bad centurion. And this was, uh, you know, the Romans were pretty smart when it came to military, and so they would only promote the most honorable people. And it seems that by the time you got to that rank of centurion, um, we see several interactions in the Gospels, we see in the book of Acts, uh, centurions were very honorable people. And this person, this centurion, who we don't know his name or what happened to him afterwards, but seemed to be more honorable than most. Marissa, what are you thinking? Yeah, one uh, primary source that I read said that uh, centurions were to be vigilant, temperate, active, and readier to execute the orders he receives than to talk. Strict in exercising and keeping up proper discipline among his soldiers and obliging them to appear clean and well-dressed and to have their weapons constantly rubbed and bright. And yes, he'd be in charge of a hundred men. That it was a very honorable uh, position to be in. And may he that description was... be of all of us. That's, <laughs> right? that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but this centurion in particular was there at the crucifixion. So he was an honorable man, yes, but he was still a tool of empire and still a tool of oppression and Rome's authority over the world at that time. Um, and he wasn't just a witness um, like some of the other people that we're looking at, but he was an active participant, and he was ordering his men to follow through on this execution. So um, though he was honorable in the eyes of Rome, he had a lot of blood on his hands, literally. Um, and just what power there is in the cross that this man, who had witnessed so many executions and had become callous to the suffering of people he hardly saw as people, that he became this symbol of, of Jesus' victory over empire. And this continuing revelation, just like the ripping of the veil, this was another ripping, another revelation, opening, tearing open the eyes of the centurion to the truth of God. Because just like you said, this was not his God. He had not been longing for a Messiah. He didn't know who this God was. And suddenly he was face to face with him and recognized him for who he really was. So, so in other places I've written about this particular passage um, in the Bible in 10 words when I talk about the word naked. You know, I talk about Jesus' death on the cross, and as there's nakedness in the garden, which is the nakedness of innocence, here's the nakedness of shame. And uh, the death of Jesus does open up things, the opening of the temple, the opening of the human heart. And I think that'd be my prayer for all of us as we approach this Easter, uh, that our hearts would be open uh, in a fresh way to what God is doing. We often say this, that we we are living now in a post-Christian culture. Cultural Christianity is dead. Um, the pandemic has probably sped that up a little bit. I heard one author say it this week, that we are like Red Sox fans living in New York now. <laughs> Doesn't that paint quite the picture? You know, we're, we're people living in, a, in an alien world, <laughs> and uh, to our hearts to be open to God and who He is and what He wants to accomplish in our lives. So um, final words. Dave, Marissa, what you got? Anything you're just dying to say? I think we, we continually have to come back to that question, who is Jesus? And how do, we, how do we invite other people to discover who Jesus is, even more so in the Easter season? Uh, the nature, the temple, Jesus, this centurion, even the crowds that, that gathered, we didn't really talk about in verse 48. They, they, were, they were beating themselves. They recognized there was something else going on. Um, they're all pointing back to who Jesus is and who Jesus was, that Jesus was more than simply a carpenter. And so we have to wrestle with that question. And, and I, that's something everyone has to wrestle with at some point or another. And 
we as followers of Jesus have the, have the joy and the responsibility of being ambassadors of this event, just as the centurion was the first witness and saying, God's glory is in this. We get to be witnesses of that and tell other people God's glory was in Jesus' death and resurrection. And you could too can find hope and reconciliation there. Mm-hmm. May we praise God for who Jesus is. Yeah. Marissa? This is a continuation of what we talked about last week with the criminals, just that Jesus loved these people enough to save them at the very door of death when when he was so consumed with suffering and grief and and um, and wondering in a way if all of this was worth the effort, worth the pain and suffering, um, that he was able to see the light and the truth and continue to administer to other people, even those who were uh, supervising and executing the crucifixion, even those who had given themselves to a life of criminality. Um, and Jesus loves us in just the same way. Um, and two, we have the the picture of these two men on either side of the cross, and we have a picture of two men in power. We have Caiaphas, we have Pilate, um, and then we have the centurion, and their different responses. They both witnessed exactly the same things. Um, I don't think it's far-fetched to think that this centurion was a witness to the entire uh, Passion Week um, circumstances, right? I, that he was probably at Pilate's. He was probably at Caiaphas's. He probably walked with Jesus the entire way, and he was witness to the same things that Caiaphas and Pilate and the others were witnesses to, and yet they rejected him. So it just really hits home that we all have a choice, that we all hear the same gospel message, but we all have a choice in how we're going to respond to Jesus. That's right. Mm-hmm. So just thinking about everything that um, we're taking in in Luke 23, this is a reminder for all of us that no one is ever too lost, that death is not the end, and that the best is yet to come. And uh, this, is, this is the eternal picture of things that we see in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're done here. I think we're all going to go to our respective coffee shops. Marissa is going to go stand outside the front window of Triangle. I'm going to smash my nose against and try to smell the beans. Yeah, Dave's going to go to 918. I will, I will lament with you at Triangle. <laughs> right. And I'm going to go. I don't know where I'm going to go, but I'm going to go Probably somewhere. Probably to the Keurig upstairs I'll and go cry. to the Keurig upstairs and, and weep <laughs> and mourn. Uh, but I uh, hope you're having a great Lenten season as we move toward Easter. Pray for people. Invite people to our church. I will mention the the uh, service of darkness that we have uh, the Thursday before Easter, seven o'clock, and then Easter Sunday morning, eight thirty, nine forty-five, and eleven a.m. And so now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and grant you peace now and forever. Amen. 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 Amen.